Uh, Hannah was Samuel's mum. We find out about her in 1 Samuel, surprisingly enough. And I just want to read, first of all, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20 to you. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zuthite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerome, the son of Eliu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hathini and Thineas had the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Hannah's story is one which shows us several aspects of God's love and concern for our lives. There are several stories in the Bible concerning ladies. The most obvious one, of course, being Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, there are several others. Eve, Ruth, Esther, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary Magdalene, Martha and Mary, 
and there are others as well. Each of their lives show us different aspects of God's love and care for us. Did these ladies always get it right? The short answer is no, and almost all of them got it wrong at some point. Some of them quite seriously wrong. Sarah, for instance, gave her maidservant to her husband because she thought she was too old to have children. And yet in the end, the Lord still showed his favour to her and she conceived a son. The encouraging thing for us is that despite them getting it wrong on so many occasions, God still wanted to use them and to bless them. And that's so true of our lives as well. I defy anybody here to say they've got everything right all of the time and they've never had a problem. Because I, well, if you have, great, well done. If you're like me and fall short many times, then I'm just so grateful that God doesn't take that to heart and still wants to use me despite all of that. It might be a good exercise and some homework for you to look up the lives of the women of the Bible and to read them through and to see how, despite their shortcomings, God still wanted to use them. The same is true, I should say, at this point, so as not to be politically incorrect, of the men of the Bible as well. It's not only the women that got it wrong, men got it wrong as well, on many occasions, and God still used them as well. But looking at the ladies in particular this morning, I think there are three words which might summarise the stories we read about them and their responses to their circumstances. Bravery, faith, and obedience. Bravery in that some of the things they did were not easy, and it took courage for them to accept what God was asking them to do. And they had to make hard choices. And if they hadn't, then who knows what history would have looked like. So they needed to be brave on occasion and to trust in God. And that's where faith comes in. Perhaps the most important characteristic that they've got in that if they didn't have faith, dependent on whether they lived in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it be in God or whether it be in Jesus, then what they did would have been far more difficult, if not impossible, for them without a purpose. And faith creates a purpose. You're doing it and they were doing it because they and we believe it is serving God's purposes. And as a believer, that is important to you and to them and makes it possible to do what you believe God is asking, even in the most difficult circumstances. To give a modern-day analogy, the persecuted church and the believers who were in it would find it almost impossible, I believe, to bear the many problems that they face daily, including torture and even death, if they didn't have faith in the life-changing resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promises he made of eternal life to endure the horrendous deaths that they did because of their profession of faith in Jesus. Similarly, the disciples to have faith in the risen Saviour Jesus Christ and the promises he made to endure the death that they had 
during their lifetimes. All but one of the disciples of Jesus had horrendous deaths. John was the only one who died of old age. The rest of them had to make a choice at some point as to whether they were going to continue to profess their faith and follow Jesus or whether they were going to renounce it and live because that was the choice they were given. And they chose to continue to believe in Jesus and they were summarily executed, a lot of them. And not in very pleasant ways. You can read about it if you want to. Lastly, and perhaps as importantly as faith, they were obedient to what they were asked to do. It is no good having all the courage in the world and all the faith in Jesus and God if when we're asked to do something, we're not obedient in doing it. It's like as I'm watching the Six Nations rugby at the moment and watching Wales lose. Um, It's far better than football. Hooray, thank you. (laughs) And as you see the players go out onto the field, they've not just decided to go out and have a game and hope they win. They have to go out with lots of bravery and commitment. If you go into a tackle in rugby half-heartedly, the chances are you'll get hurt. I know, I've done it in the past. But if you give it 100% commitment, then hopefully, most of the time, neither you nor your opponent will get hurt because you've done it properly, as you've been trained to. And speaking of training, they're trained day after day by coaches Not just one coach, there is an overall coach, but there are specialist coaches for each group of players and a motivational coach for the whole team. And if the coaches are really good and the players are obedient to the game plan, chances are, as England are doing at the moment, they will win. God, you'll be pleased to know, is a very good coach. So good, in fact, that through Jesus, he has already won the battle for us. And if we're brave, if we have faith in him, And if we're obedient, then we can be confident that we will be on the winning side. Are you brave? Do you have faith? Are you obedient to God's call on your life? Let's have a look at Hannah's story and see how she fared in these three areas. Hannah was the wife of Elkanah, as we've just read. And he also had a second wife, Penina, who had several children. Hannah, however, was unable to have children and her cause was not helped at all by Penina who constantly goaded her about the fact she couldn't bear children for her husband even though Elkanah tried to help her by giving her double portions of food to show his love for her and assuring her that he loved her even though she had no children and typically being a man that being married to him should be more than compensation for the fact that they had no children. I am assured by those who know these things that this would not have helped in the slightest and probably made her feel a whole lot worse. She endured this for many years, we are told. And we are told that with Penina goading her so much that most years when they went up to the sacrifice she ended up crying and unable to eat. She was so upset. As with all things, these could only go on for so long before Hannah broke. And after having gone through the usual rituals of the sacrifice to God and the following meal, she stood up, observed by Eli the high priest. She prayed to the Lord. 
Did she do it quietly in measured tones and eloquent speech? No. We are told that she prayed in tears and in bitterness of soul. God wants us to be real when we pray, not trying to mask our true feelings, which he knows anyway, but with honesty, openness, and a true expression of our emotions. Hannah had bottled her emotion up for years, and now the dam has burst, and all her pent-up emotions come flooding out. She prayed silently, but opened her mouth as she mouthed her prayers. Her emotions were so raw and on the surface that Eli mistakenly thought that she was drunk and chastised her for it. How often do we misjudge what we think we are seeing happening in front of us and jump in with judgment too quickly? We need to perhaps take a step back when these things are happening. We need to be certain of what we're seeing before we go in with a reproving word. In her prayers, Hannah made an oath to God. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. A prayer of desperation, but also a prayer of faith recognizing who God is and what he is able to accomplish. Also a prayer that says, I just want to be a normal lady and bear children for my husband. Much has been written about why Hannah was so desperate to have a child, but we will never really know the answer. What we do know, that as an act of gratitude to God, should he grant her wish, she promises to give the child over to God's service all the days of his life. Eli is told by Hannah that he is mistaken in thinking her drunk. But she is in fact a lady deeply troubled, pouring out her soul to the Lord and praying out of her great anguish and grief. Eli, recognizing the truth of what she was saying, sent her away with a blessing. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. The next sentence, I think at least, is interesting. We're told that she, that's Hannah, went away and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. I don't know about you, but I can remember on the few occasions in my life when I have truly poured out my heart to God with sincerity and honesty, there has followed a real sense of uplifting and release. As if God is saying, why, don't you do, why didn't you do that ages ago? And I could have lifted your burden from your shoulders earlier. My most vivid memory is of when I recommitted my life to God in 1984. Having spent 19 years wandering around in my own wilderness, having given my life to God at 16, 17. Even though God had prodded me a few times along the way, I'd chosen not to be obedient, but to walk away. But when I finally came to that place of total submission once more, I can still recall the physical sense of a huge burden being lifted from my shoulders 
and of God putting his arms around me and saying, welcome back. I think probably Hannah felt something similar here with a real sense that God had been listening to her, had heard her and would do something about it. I was talking to somebody yesterday about an experience they'd had of God acting in their lives. And they were trying to put into words the feeling that they'd had at that particular time. But I've tried several times to put into words the feeling that I had at this particular time, and it's just not something that you can put into words. It's just something that you know in yourself that God has moved in your life. And I've never yet found the words to be able to express that. And sure enough, in due course, we're told Hannah conceived a son. And when he was born, she named him Shema Elohim, which is very bad Hebrew, I'm sure. But it means God has heard Samuel. Now, to me, in human terms, comes the most difficult part of all. Hannah had waited all her married life for a son. And finally, having poured out her woes to God, she had produced a son, Samuel, naming him in recognition of God's provision to her. How easy do you think it would have been for her to fulfill her promise to God and hand Samuel over to the high priest to be brought up serving God with little contact with his mother? We're told later in the story that his mother made him a robe each year and took it to the temple when they went up to Shiloh to offer the annual sacrifice and gave it to him. So all contact wasn't lost, but it was a far cry from raising him as her own son. Do you think, and I don't know the answer, I just know that when Jack was placed into my arms about three hours after he was born, A very special bond was formed there, which has continued to this day. And if I were asked to give him up to the Lord's service, I would find that extremely difficult to do. And I'm not even his dad, I'm his granddad. But do you think that for a little while, Hannah may have thought, well, God knows what a state I was in when I prayed that prayer all those months ago that I wasn't really thinking about what I was saying when I made that promise. I'm sure God would forgive me if I didn't carry through on it and brought Samuel up myself. (coughs) Excuse me. That, to me, would be a very natural reaction for a mother to have. There's no indication of that in the text other than that her husband, Elkanah, had this response when she tells him she will present Samuel to the Lord after she has weaned him. His response is, do what seems best to you. Perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but it sounds a little like, I want to keep him, but if you insist on fulfilling your promise, it's up to you. Whether these thoughts crossed Hannah's mind or not, what we do know is that Hannah kept her promise to the Lord. And when she had weaned Samuel, she took him along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine to the sacrifice. Once they had sacrificed the bull, she took Samuel to Eli and told him that she was the one who had stood with him as she prayed to the Lord 
for a son. That God had given her that son, and as she vowed, she was now giving him to the Lord's service for his lifetime. Thus being obedient and fulfilling her promise to God. Do we always keep our promises to God in the same way that Hannah did? Or can we waver sometimes? God always keeps his promises. So be very careful when you promise him something. He will expect it to be kept. And there will almost certainly be consequences if it isn't. Do you like happy endings? Who doesn't like a happy ending? As you read the rest of Samuel 1 and Samuel 2, you will see how Samuel grew up to serve the Lord and was the last of the ruling judges in the Old Testament, having been called by God as a prophet who was recognised by the whole of Israel. That's good. But even better than that, I think, for Hannah personally, having been brave enough to bear her soul before the Lord, having had the faith to believe that God would answer her prayer, and being obedient to release Samuel into God's service was not the end of the story for Hannah. It might have been, and it should have been sufficient for Hannah to know that she'd been obedient to God's will. But God is a generous God who loves and cares for us. And we're told in 1 Samuel 2, verses 20 and 21, after Hannah and Elkanah had visited Samuel on their annual visit and they were about to go home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife Hannah, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. That's a generous God. Three sons and two daughters. I'm assuming they didn't all come at the same time. (laughs) And meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. After Hannah had presented Samuel to Eli to bring up him in the Lord's service, she prayed the following prayer of thanks, recognizing who God is and what he can do, and that he is a refuge for all the oppressed and downtrodden who turn to him for help. 1 Samuel 2, 1-10 says this, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust 
and lifts the needy from the ash heaps. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is our God. This is the God that Hannah trusted in. This is the God who answered Hannah's prayers. And as Hannah was obedient to what, he, what she had promised for him, he rewarded her. He blessed her. As a church this year, we've started to look at the way in which we can reach out to those estates which are around us at the present time. And John and I have sat down and talked about some of the ways in which that can happen. And we're going to spend a lot more time praying about how that can come about and what God wants us to do in order to bring it about. We can do the practical things like painting the foyer and making it look really bright and welcoming and but it's not about the building entirely. Yes, it's nice to have a good building for people to come in and see that it's well cared for and that it's loved and it's because that is part of our service to God to look after that which he gives us. So we need this place to be looking as if it's loved and cared for. And one of the things which happens many times when people come into this building is that they tell me that there's a real sense of warmth, of God's presence and of family in it. That there is a unity of purpose within the people who are in it that they can sense and feel. And that's brilliant. And we love that to continue. It's certainly a good part of my prayer that the unity of those who are in fellowship here would continue and that it would grow but as with Hannah we need to be brave we need to have a hold of the vision which God gives us we need to have it there and we need not to be afraid of it because if it's God given then we don't need to be afraid of it because he will provide us with all that's necessary for it to happen we need to have faith as Hannah did we need to have faith in God that he will give us a plan and a purpose that he will provide the means for us to reach out to these estates around us one of the things that uh, came up at the council meeting recently was a question have we got the funds to carry through on what we want to do and the answer at the moment is no we haven't but we're believing in God that he will provide either miraculously or through his people here the means in order that we can do that and finally we need to be obedient it's no good having these great and wonderful plans if we're not obedient to follow them through And that will require effort, that will require time, it will require commitment from us as a congregation to the vision which God puts before us. 
God doesn't expect to do it all himself. He asks us to play our part as well. So yes, it's great that Hannah was blessed with five children after she'd given, been obedient and handed Eli over. But if we want blessings from God in the future, then we've got to carry through on the things which he puts before us now. We need to be brave. We need to have faith. And we need to be obedient to his leading. If we do that, as it said in Psalm 133, God commands a blessing. And I want God's blessing on this place. I'm sure you do too. But it's going to cost us something to achieve it. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to put other things aside in order that we can make this church into the thing that God wants it to be and to bring more people into his kingdom? That's what we need to do. That's what God's asking us to do. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning as your people. Father, we thank you for the many blessings you've given us already. And we thank you that there is these number of estates being built around this building. Father, there's a huge estate here already, and we don't need to neglect that. But what we do need to do, Father, is to follow your leading in the way in which we can reach out onto these new properties that are being built to make a difference in their lives as well, to draw them in to this place so that they can hear more about you and what you mean to the individuals who are here. It's not just a cosy club where we can come and meet on a Sunday and have a great time and go away and not worry about it until the following Sunday, Father. It's about you. It's about our lives. It's about living our lives for you, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, and making you the priority in our lives. So, Father, we just pray that over the next weeks and months as we explore the ways in which to carry your word out to those around us, we would have bravery, we would have faith, and we would have obedience so that we too can have a happy ending to the story. In Jesus' name, amen.